Good morning, everybody. We are continuing in our Bible study in John chapter 17. So if you will find in your Bibles John chapter 17, we're going to eventually jump in there in just a minute. As you're turning to that and, and getting ready, let me just say um, thank you to Ryan Irvin for filling in last week and just really grateful for all the people around here that do what they do and uh, gave my family the opportunity to be out and you know, Ryan last week talked about the first half of John 17 and specifically what is it that God wants for us to do with the rest of our lives as Jesus Christ is praying to God the Father. This is actually the Lord's Prayer, if you want to call it that. In the Bible, the Lord himself is praying. And so he talks about what it is that we should be doing, the first half. And then the second half today, what we're going to see is the how. How it is that we can fulfill God's purpose for our life. So that's really what we're going to look at in the second half of John chapter 17 here. The theme throughout this prayer is very, very clear. Uh, It's all about how God the Son talks to God the Father about their mission. And, And it's described in several different ways. For example, you could look in verse number 21 where it says that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Certainly the, the mission of God is clear to seek and to save that which was lost and, and, the, and the purpose of John's writing in this gospel is all about that people might believe and give their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' prayer, he's at the, near the end of his physical life. Very soon they're going to arrest him and take him to be crucified and he prays to the Father. It's recorded for us here and the theme again is all about the mission. Now Jesus' mission And this idea, the fulfillment of this mission, it has two critical elements. And the first and most obvious critical element is the fact that he ultimately had to do what only he could do, and that's live the sinless life and die that atoning death in our place on the cross of Calvary. Um, He will be doing that soon in the chronology of this story, has not yet completed that. The other thing is, and it is the subject of this prayer, is that he had to prepare disciples to be able to continue this mission after he's gone. And really, that is the focus of what this is all about, is God the Son prays to God the Father. Uh, Jesus did what he did. And and so we take God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They kind of stand on one side, perfect, holy, pure, righteous, eternal. It it addresses issues with the world. The the world is just going to do what the world does, and that's be evil and contrary to the things of God. And what we have in this prayer is the addressing of the disciples who kind of stand in the middle because we are in Christ, but yet we're still in the world. And and we are called to let Christ through us reach into this world. And so that's what we're looking at. That's what this is all about. And so in this mission, that he's given to us, um, literally what he asks us to do is, and this is in your notes, is to affect change in people. And, and by affecting change in people, individuals, one by one, eventually we affect change in the whole world. That's our mission. That's what we are supposed to do. At First Baptist Church, we say it this way, making a difference. Let's make a difference in the lives of individuals that ultimately make a difference in our community and make a difference in this world. If you'll just glance with me at verse number 18 as we kind of jump in and get started, it says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them, the disciples, into the world. 
So it begs the question, how is it exactly that the Father sent Jesus Christ into the world? Well, if you just sit back and think a little bit about who Jesus is, Jesus Christ exists as a being that is more than merely human, right? He took on the form of a man to live in this earth for a period of time, but he existed eternally in eternity past as who he is, a spiritual, eternal, divine being. He's God. That's who he is. And yet he came, he was sent to this earth on a mission for a period of time. And we saw he has to die for our sins, yes. He has to train disciples, yes. But I want you to understand that what he does is, in fulfilling those things, Jesus Christ, this is how the Father sent him, he sent him here to live his life distinct and separate from that of the world. He never sinned. That's distinct and separate. Jesus Christ was different. And in so doing, ultimately fulfilling the duties that he had to fulfill, he makes salvation available for each and every one of us. He doesn't require that any of us believe. He didn't uh, predestine that some of us will and will not believe and end up in heaven or hell. Jesus Christ did his part to make available to you the path for eternal life. Once he did that, he left. His mission was accomplished. And when we think about these things, the ways that the Father sent the Son into the world, that's the same way Jesus sends us into the world. Because once we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible says very clearly that we are new creatures. We're no longer who we used to be. We're no longer Jews or Gentiles. We are in Christ. And we have a spiritual, eternal existence. And we are visiting this planet as pilgrims and strangers for just a period of time. And our mission as his disciples to carry on throughout the ages is to continue to make salvation available of course jesus did the ultimate work but we carry the gospel and we make salvation known to people who don't know about it and in so doing that that's all we can do because everybody has a free will to choose whether they want to receive it or not and when we make salvation known and make it available to all peoples we've accomplished our mission and there will be a day just like in the in jesus physical life where we leave where we're done And so to make sure that the gospel will continue for the next generation after that we're gone physically, part of our job also will then be to make disciples who will carry on after we're not here to be able to do it anymore. And so exactly the way the Father sent Jesus Christ into this world is exactly the way that Jesus Christ sends us into this world. And so today what we're going to see is Jesus Christ, and think about this, this is God the Son. He is our Lord and Savior. He prays for three specific things that are critical to our ability to fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. I'm telling y'all, if we will just get this, and when I say get this, I mean, I mean get it with our soul. I mean, not just say, yeah, yeah, I know that. I checked that off on my intellectual list. No, I mean that, that light bulb ding moment where you're like, whoa. I get it now. I finally get it. Have you ever had those in your life? You're cruising along and you know some stuff and all of a sudden it makes sense to you and you're never the same again. That's that's what we got to get today. That's what we got to get about what Jesus, I mean, thinking about it, the Lord of glory praying to his eternal heavenly father 
for some critical elements about how we can see God's purposes fulfilled in our lives. Man, we got to get that. We got to roll with that. That's going to be really, really important. When we do that, then you know what? Not only will our life experience joy, but we'll be effective. We'll have purpose. We'll see fruit. So let's just pray, and then we'll dive into this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We praise you that you have made salvation available to us. I thank you, Lord, that this is something that we now possess in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would not take that for granted. We would not take that lightly. We would not just think, oh, yeah, thanks, by the way. But it would transform our lives. I pray, Lord, that in this next time together that we will be able to meet with you in a very real way. Lord, we have met with you in worship. You inhabit the praises of your people. But Lord, we need that light bulb moment. We need to get it. We need to really be transformed. We need to see how you can change our hearts and our lives to be able to fulfill this purpose and apply these things in our life. And so Lord, as we walk through the things that you have to say in this prayer, I pray that you would speak to each and every individual in the way that they need to hear it. And we'll just praise you for it in advance in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, the first thing that we're going to see on how we can apply this, how we can fulfill God's purpose in our lives is to simply be different. We need to be different. And, and let's go back. And I know that last week you, you probably covered some of this territory. And actually the themes in today's message are similar to the themes from last week because they just recur all through this passage. But we're going to start in verse number 19, just verses 19 and 20 for now. And it says, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Of course, going back to verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. It says, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So we're going to talk about being sanctified. And and I just called it be different, to be sanctified. Uh, the definition biblically of being sanctified, and, and you know, that's a theological word that, that sometimes we think we understand, and maybe we do and maybe we don't, literally just means to be set apart. It, it means to be separate. It means to be distinct. It means to be different. But it's, it's separated, not just separated like I live on an island alone. It's separated for a specific purpose that God has for our lives. That's sanctified. Okay, And so it has an element of holiness. We're set apart from this world system. And so we're going to see that as we walk through this. And, and if you just did a Bible study on the word sanctified, you would see that it bears it out. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 3 is the first time that the word ever shows up. And it was where God says that he made, in the seventh day he rested and he sanctified that seventh day. What did he do? He took that seventh day and he set it apart as distinct from the other six days. Uh, The second time that the word sanctified ever shows up in all your Bible is in Exodus chapter 13 and verse number 2 where God talks about taking the firstborn from a family and setting him apart from the rest of the children because he is holy unto me, God says. And so literally it's just setting that apart for a specific divine purpose. That's how sanctified is used. That's exactly what it means. It's to be set apart. It means to be for God's purpose. And so it says in the verse that Jesus Christ sanctified himself. Now maybe he can pull that off because he's God and 
That's probably hard for us to pull that off in our own flesh. We need to have some help, and we have to do it through the truth. We'll see that in just a second. But what did sanctified mean for Jesus Christ? Well, I alluded to it earlier. For Jesus Christ, it means that he lived his life set apart from the influences of this evil world in which he lived. He lived his life, the only one ever to do it, successfully sin-free. The only one to ever do it. He lived his life in such a way that, yes, he was within the world. Yes, he had friends. Yes, he traveled and functioned within the context of the society. Yes, he had a ministry. Yes, he interacted. Yes, he did all of these things while he was yet very clearly different. He was sanctified. And the Bible says that he sanctified himself, okay? And then it says that they also, the disciples, might be sanctified through the truth. In other words, Jesus Christ came and he lived the life that he lived for three and some odd years, okay, about three and a half years probably in his earthly ministry, with his disciples, among other things, to be that living example, to show to them, and as it's recorded for us, to show to us how we can do it too, because as he did it, we are able to do that too. So I want us to see that our sanctification, it has two elements. It's twofold, okay? And the first thing that you see in your sanctification is positional. Now, those of you who study the Bible, you've, you've heard these before, positional and practical, okay? And, and literally, I just want you to understand, positionally in Christ, simply by virtue of the fact that if you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and surrendered your heart and soul to him as your Lord and your Savior, you've confessed your sins to him and asked him to come into your heart and your life and give you the gift of eternal life, immediately upon the moment of salvation, the Bible says that you are sanctified in Christ. That's who you are. By the way, hallelujah. We are sanctified in. It's not because of what you did. It's because of what he did. And you just said, thank you. <laughs> I'll get in on that. Really smart decision, by the way. Hebrews chapter 10 bears that out in verse number 10. By the which will, the will of God, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Because of his sacrifice and our getting in on it, we immediately, positionally, are sanctified. Now, how does that play out in our day-to-day -day life? Well, sometimes okay, <laughs> sometimes not so hot because there's the other element of sanctification. Yes, there's positional sanctification in our salvation. Thank God for that. It's eternal, it's secure, it's perfect. But there's a practical living out of that day to day. And that's what we see where it says that we need to be sanctified through the truth. This is our daily life. This is our walking with him. This is being guided step by step. Verse 17 defines for us, thy word is truth. And if you were to look in 1 John chapter 5, it says in verse number 6, the spirit, capital S, is truth. And so if you went back into John chapter 14, and I think the verse is about 26, where it talks about how the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, when he's come, he will guide you into all truth. If you understand anything, if you've ever had one of them light bulb moments with God, it's because the Spirit of God has taken the Word of God and clicked it on in your brain and your heart and your soul and caused you to get it. That's what the Spirit of God does. And the way that we're going to, in fact, the only way that we could ever possibly truly be sanctified in our daily walk, in our lives today as we walk through this world as believers in Jesus Christ is through the truth of God's Word 
illuminated in our hearts and lives through the Spirit of God as He teaches us to apply it day by day. Those are the elements of our sanctification. Now, maybe you've heard it expressed this way. It's a very common way to express it. And the phrase is this. We are in the world, yet not of the world. You've heard that? We're in the world. We're just not of the world. Okay? And so that's sanctified. That's set apart. That's different. That's separated. So we are on a mission like Jesus was. We represent God. We represent his kingdom. We represent his will. And this theme is all through the New Testament. And I've given you several references that just pop right off the pages. They're so clear. As God calls us to a sanctified life, he calls us to a life that's different. He calls us to live a life that's separate and on his mission. Let me remind you, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? Notice, and ye are not your own. For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. I don't know if you think about it this way, but I do. When you made your decision to surrender your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, what did you do? What you literally did was you cut a deal with God. Great deal, by the way. Where you offered to him all of your life, sinful, hell-bound, wretched, sorry, as it is, in exchange for his life, perfect, pure, holy, eternal, good. Yay, we win. Great deal. Greatest deal ever. You made a deal. And you gave your life to him for his life in exchange. Anybody sorry they made that decision? But here's what happens. We make the deal. We get the card that says fireproof. Good. Awesome. And then we come back a little later and we're like, yeah, I'm going to take my life back too. I'm not giving Jesus his life back. He doesn't take it back, thankfully. I'm taking mine back though. I'm going to run my own life my way. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to pursue my desires and my will and my life. And he says, don't you realize, don't you realize the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and you are not your own. You sold your soul to Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing ever. You are bought with a price. You don't have the right to decide for yourself anymore. Your life is to be sanctified. It's recorded in Galatians 2.20 this way. I love this. I am crucified with Christ. My life is dead with him, in other words. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's, it's kind of back and forth between, okay, I'm, I'm dead in Christ, okay, but yet I'm alive still. And the life that I live, oh, by the way, it's not me that's living it. It's Jesus living it in and through me. And so, yes, I'm alive, but it's really not me. That's the life of a Christian. That's the life of a disciple. I love 2 Corinthians 5.15. Talking about Jesus Christ. And he died for all. Why? That they which live, they who receive him and get eternal life, that they, all of us, which live, should not henceforth 
Henceforth from the day of your salvation, from the day that you receive the eternal life, henceforth in your Christian life, in other words, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's the expectation. That's the clear expectation. When Jesus Christ did all that he did and offered to you, he expects that as you respond to his very gracious offer, that you'll keep your word. But aren't you glad he keeps his? Aren't you glad that he didn't say, oh yeah, that John 3.16 thing? Just kidding. No, of course not. He does exactly what he says all the time. And even when we blow it, he keeps his word. He's faithful. He's God. He's perfect. He can't lie. He expects us to be that way. And he says, our life henceforth from the time of salvation has been sold. It's bought with a price. It's not I that live. It's Christ that lives in me. And we are not to live anymore for ourselves. We live for him. You know what that is? That's being sanctified. By the way, if you choose to live this way, you can do it. Through the power of the Spirit, through His truth, you can do it. You'll be different. You'll be in the world, but not of it. That's who you'll be. And you don't have to dress different. You don't have to comb your hair different. You don't have to, but you are going to behave different. And it'll be obvious. It really will. Last one, Colossians 3, first four verses. If ye then be risen with Christ... Paraphrase, if ye are saved, seek those things which are above. Where's above? Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, your emotion, your desires, the things you long for. What are the things you long for? Set your affection on things above. In case you didn't get that, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, notice, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. I love that. It's not when Christ, who's in first place in our life. No. Do you realize that Jesus Christ doesn't want to be in first place in your life? What? Blasphemy. He doesn't want to be in first place or second or third he wants to be your life being in first place means that there is a second or a third place that has nothing to do with him okay god i gave you that place now it's all me no you don't have a life anymore you're in christ that's biblical salvation that's what it's all about and jesus christ prays to the father that that's the life that we will live. In fact, in verse number 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us, y'all. We have come to believe thousands of years later on him through their word as it's recorded for us. And Jesus back then prayed for us. By the way, according to Romans eight thirty four, Jesus today continues to pray for us. In case you didn't know that. It's the coolest thing in the world. He continues to pray for us. So this idea of sanctification, a sanctified life is devoted to holiness. It has to have an element of holiness. It has to have an element of doing what's right. According to 1 John chapter 3, all unrighteousness is sin. Sin is the transgression of the law, literally. Sin is the transgression of the law. And if we are going to be sanctified through the truth, the word of God, as it's defined, 
the truth of God is going to reign in our hearts. And sin is when we violate the word. So we are sanctified by living according to the word, which means we're not sinning. We're living a holy life. If you live a life like that, you will be different from this world. So without a doubt, your success in fulfilling God's purpose for your life is directly connected to the relationship that you cultivate with God in his word, wouldn't you say? I mean, how are you going to be able to fulfill his mission if you're not sanctified? How are you going to be sanctified without his word living in and through you on a regular basis? And so that has a lot of different elements. And so I identified three of them that are very clear. The first thing you've got to do is just read it. <laughs> I mean, the application of being able to have God's word work in and through us is we've got to start by reading it. I love in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 3, the apostle John is recording and he, and he says, man, blessed is he that readeth. So if you're here reading the word with us, blessed are ye. That's a great thing. It's a great start. Uh, in our church, we... Um, offer to you a reading plan. I think you have your new schedule for the month or the quarter coming up here in, in front of you in the bulletin today. And, and we read through the Bible every year, and it's a chronological method this year. You may have your own system. That's fine. But spend time every single day with God and His Word. If you don't do that, it's very difficult for the Word to keep you sanctified. But not only just read it, you need to study it. And the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. And so those of you who are in school or have recently finished school, you still probably remember what it was to study something. I mean, get out the books. I mean, analyze. I mean, take notes. I mean, study, cross-reference, understand, put in the time. And here in our church, we offer opportunities to help you with that. We typically use the word discipleship. And there's different levels of discipleship. An introductory level where you have a personal mentor who will help you. And we have advanced levels that are classroom oriented. We call that MTT. There's an announcement in your bulletin about that as well for the coming fall semester. And the whole idea with MTT, if you've finished the first level, you can continue on the next level. It's to help you study and understand. MTT, for example, would be the why behind the what. In elementary discipleship, personal discipleship, you learn what it is God expects and, and all this sort of thing, and, and, and certainly you'll understand some why. But you come into these classes and you'll understand why it is and how it all fits together, and really that's a beautiful thing, and that'll help you. And you've got to have that relationship with God's Word. And you know what? If you're struggling with those things and reading regularly and studying His Word and understanding those things, the real problem might simply be that you just don't love His Word. You just don't love it. And all through the scriptures, and maybe no place greater than Psalm 119, where God says, for example, um, oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day, verse 97. It's just repeated over and over and over again. If you learn to cultivate a relationship with God through this book, you know, does it sound a little weird? Well, maybe, I don't know. But it's just how it works because God chooses to speak through his word. So love God through these. Is this God? No, it's just a book. But it's God's book. It's a living book. It's awesome. But through this and the Spirit teaching us, we then develop our relationship with the living God. And that's because God does not work contrary to his word. And so we connect with him that way. Be sanctified. Jesus sanctified himself that we might be sanctified through the truth. Uh, you know what? When you do that, God will use you. God uses people who are sanctified. So you need to be different. You need to stand apart. You need to be separate. You need to be distinct. You need to be holy. 
That's the kind of life he expects. That's how we're going to pull it off. And the second thing we're going to see is be loving. Be loving. Let's read verses 21 through 23. Again, it comes off the heels of verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone with them also which shall believe on them through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So there's this idea of oneness. There's this idea of unity in the required fulfillment of God's ultimate mission that the world may believe. Verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me I've given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, and thou hast loved me, as thou hast loved me. And so what we see is, is that our unity directly affects our fulfillment of God's purpose. Again, verse number 21, that the world may believe comes directly on the heel. By the way, it comes off of verse 20. I read verse 20 coming into it because it's only a semicolon between those verses, when, think about it, when Jesus Christ prays, not just for his 11 disciples, but for all those that would believe later as a result of their word, the fact that we're here this morning doing this, is that not a fulfillment of that? Is that not a fulfillment of the fact that the disciples took the mission and successfully made it available to the next generation, among whom those made it available to the next generation etc., etc., until it gets to us. I mean, that's a direct fulfillment of the mission. Why? Because they did that thing. And that's an important thing. So he says that we may be one even as they, Jesus and the Father, are one. So how are the Father and the Son one? John 10.30, I and the Father are one. How are they one? Well, just think about it. Within the Trinity, we're talking within the, within the body of the Trinity now, they are one in being, yet they take on different roles to accomplish a purpose. Is there really any difference between the Father, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit? in being and who they are, in deity, in essence, in cre- and all of that, no, not a bit, of, they're God. it's God. It's God, period. There is one God, the Bible says. Here, all Israel, your God is one God. But he takes on different persons. He takes on different roles. Can we understand fully all what that means? Maybe not. But that's how he reveals himself. And so you have God the Father, and you have God the Son, and God the Son is the, the only one of the three that ever shows up visibly, physically, to human eyes, to see. And God the Spirit is the one who lives in us and through us continuing to do that. I mean, they take on different roles. And it said earlier in the Gospel of John how how the Spirit doesn't speak of himself, but the things that he hears from the Father, that's what he speaks. And he's there to glorify Christ and not himself. They take on different roles. They're one in being, but they have different roles. Our unity with one another Feel free to just look around. <laughs> Should be like that. Why? Because really and truly, theologically, truly, we, in, those, those of us who are in Christ, we're one. That's who we are. 
I am in you and you are in me, like it or not. It's true. It's who we are. We are in Christ. We are new creatures. We are no longer who we used to be. The old Jeff is dead and gone, thank God, and the new one exists now, still in this little physical body for a while. But it's new and it's different and we are connected and interconnected and we absolutely need one another. Now, as we look around the room, we notice very clearly everybody has different skills. Everybody plays a different, unique, very important role. And some people are gifted in some ways to speak truth and to be teachers and leaders in that area and other people are gifted in other ways we had musicians up here and there's other people gifted in other ways of service that are more behind the scenes in nature and everybody's role is critically important and you could spend the time studying first corinthians 12 among many other places about how we're likened unto a body we are the body of christ but each individual member has its own unique role to play so that the whole body together we all are individuals but together become one singular body. And so this oneness, you need to understand, is more than just, hey, that's probably cool and that's a good idea as long as I like it, as long as I get along with people. No. We are connected. If you show up in this building but are really not connected in what we do as a body, we all suffer Because God designed it that we would all be, we are one as a being, but some of the members aren't functioning the way they need to function, and the whole body suffers. And so I woke up this morning, and as I was looking over my notes before I came to church, I I have a Band-Aid on my arm because I happened to notice four dots of poison ivy. You gotta hate that. Because before I realized what it was, I scratched it, and scratch my eye. So if I show up next week red and swollen, that's why. Now, right now, I have four tiny dots on my skin, okay, that itch, by the way. Much, listen, there's all kind of different parts in my body that are very concerned about those four dots right now. (laughs) Very concerned. All right? That's how we function. I mean, we're connected. And if you are not in your place doing your thing, it hurts everybody. It hurts you too. It hurts all of us. We need to be where we're at. This is the unity that he talks about. Listen, I put it this way. Not only that, but your spiritual maturity depends upon our unity. Look, you got to look with me. Look down in verse 23. I and them and thou and me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. We, the disciples, are only made perfect, we're going to define that, in one. Perfection, defined biblically, is not sinless. Perfection, biblically, is complete, fulfilled, mature, equipped, okay? That's what it literally means. And, and just to kind of prove that to you, uh, let's look at a few places. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 3 says, Paul writing to the Galatian church that 
they're saved, but they're getting back into some carnal practices of legalism. And he says, are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, when you got saved and the Holy Spirit came to live in you, you, you began this new journey with Christ. Are you now made perfect by the flesh? In other words, you began your journey as a little babe in Christ, and ultimately you're going to grow to maturity, perfection. Now, you're not going to do that in the power of the flesh. You're going to do it in the power of the Spirit. But that's the idea of what perfection is, how it's used in the Scripture. Ephesians 4.13. Paul says, Until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I understand that there's an application of one day we'll be glorified and we will be the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Yes, that's true. But in our daily life also, it is this unity together, the unity of the faith as we serve together and truly understand our being connectedness and play that out with love that we really grow in maturity, that we become complete, that we become fulfilled. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 may be the most obvious of all. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. What exactly does perfect mean? Well, it goes on to explain, throughly furnished unto all good works. And so with that, perfect is equipped, <laughs> mature, throughly furnished. Okay, it's not sinless. And so when you, go, when you go back to John 17 and verse 23, it says, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. Your spiritual maturity depends upon your unity with the body. And, and I get it, I get it, man. I, in this crazy world of religious, interesting people, we look at the bigger picture of the world and we say, I'm not going to be united with those guys. Okay, that's an interesting discussion, okay, for another day, but I don't think that's what he's talking about because forget the interesting people who believe some crazy stuff. And let's just look around here at the crazy stuff we believe. <laughs> Within our body, in one local church, there's no reason to not be all united. There's no reason. There's no reason. Listen, and some people are just deceived into thinking that they're more mature than they really are as they live their singular Lone Ranger existence devoid of interaction with other people in the body. And I'm so thankful for so many of you, I'm thankful for everybody who desires to come to church on a Sunday and to hear God's word preached and to praise his name publicly. I'm thankful for all of that. But if the totality of your experience in Christ and in the body is coming to this room on Sunday morning at 1030 and all sitting one direction pointing and li just listening silently, listening respectfully, thank you. But, but if this is the full existence of your life in Christ, man, you're, you're, you're missing it. Because there's so much more. 
And you've got to be connected with the body. And if you're not actively serving and if you're not interacting with small groups of people and, and involved in their life and, and rejoicing when they rejoice and, and weeping when they weep and, and, and helping and serving and doing that, listen, you can't really grow to perfection because God rigged it. If you're separate from the body, you can't be spiritually mature. He set it up. We're interdependent. And we absolutely need one another. Listen, that's important. And, and I fear for some folks. Some folks just don't believe that. They just don't. And it's evidenced by the fact that they just refuse to get involved. And, and they just want to sit in their one little chair for an hour and a half and go home. And, and that's fine. You're always welcome. But you're missing out. And that's what Jesus is praying for. And he's like, look, you'll become perfect in one if you're like fighting with everybody all the time, you, you hurt yourself and you hurt everybody because that's not the design. Listen, you say, man, I know, but that's not easy. I look around the room. It's not that easy. Can I say to you, yeah, that's the point. I mean, why else would... Let me say it this way. Why else would God the Son have to pray to God the Father that you be able to do it if it was easy? But it's worth it. It's the design. It's how it works. So your Lord and Savior, the eternal perfect Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, prayed to his heavenly Father that you would get it, that you are, whether you like it or not, one, one being with everybody else that's here today who has made that same decision to follow him. And we need to live that out. We need to live that out. Now, you know, that requires love. You could glance down to verse 26, for example, and I've decided, uh, declare, excuse me, unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be, may be in them, and I in them. So we need to have that unconditional love, non-judgmental, unconditional love. And if you don't, um, it just doesn't help you. The good news is, is that, you know, we design for you ways to help you live that out. And quite frankly, if you don't take advantage of them, again, it's to your own detriment. And then the one primary vehicle that we offer to you is what we call life groups. And if you're not involved in a life group, really, um, you're missing out because that's where we really pray for each other and care for one another and connect with one another and learn to love people that maybe aren't always the most lovable, but we do it because Jesus said so and we serve our community and we do those things and you need to be a part of that and that's something that's available to you and there are some life groups that are taking some time off for the summer, but, but you're welcome to join anyone at any time and if you're just not a part of one, please just, just really reconsider. Because fulfilling the mission depends on our unity. Your spiritual maturity depends on our unity. Listen, we do not design these things just because we got nothing to do in the middle of the week and we like making you busy. No. We just want to help you and provide a biblically designed vehicle through which you can connect as easily as possible and experience the joy and the purpose that God has for your life. I mean, do you see that? Listen, if, you, if for whatever you're thinking, uh, I'm still wrestling with it, but okay, I hear you. If you're not seeing it quite yet, 
then let's just, let's just move to the next point because I think it'll help you. The last point is be aware. Be aware. So we're going to be different. We're going to be loving. And the last thing is we're going to be aware. And this is verses 24 and 25. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And it goes on in verse 26 to what I already read. So he says, he's praying that they also will be with me where I am. All right, so Jesus obviously is going to go to the cross, buried, resurrected, spend a little time on earth, and then ascend to the third heaven, okay? If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then we can say that being where Jesus is, mission accomplished. It's done, right? And so if you'll look with me in Ephesians chapter 2, because Ephesians 2 makes it absolutely crystal clear. In verses 5 and 6, it says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You don't see it physically. You maybe don't feel it, but literally, theologically, Actually, you if you are saved today, you are also not just seated here on Commercial Avenue on the south side of New Philadelphia. You are seated in heavenly places because you are in Christ Jesus. Now, if that kind of, you know, blows a gasket for you, join the club, okay? But it's what it says, and it's the way it is. You are where Christ is. Check that off. But I want you to look again at verse 24. I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Check, thank you, awesome. Why? That, that, you know, that word that is a good one to keep track of. It really is. Why? That, for the reason that, they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. It's about vision. It's about being aware of eternity. Do you see that? I mean, this is a big deal. The purpose for being in Jesus' presence is that we develop vision. If we, through the eyes of faith, through the Spirit of God, revealing to us the Word of God and understanding that whether we physically get it or not, we are seated in heavenly places and through the understanding of the Scripture can literally get a vision of what eternity is like and the glory of God as the Trinity will ultimately be reunited in one. <laughs> that they may behold my glory, it says. We need to see Jesus, y'all, where he is now in glory. We need to have a vision of eternity. That verse 24, it says, For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. It's got this eternal emphasis on it. And when we see Christ's glory, we remember he's not just the guy who lived here for 33 years. He's the guy who lived here for 33 years in an earth suit, 
a body, physical body, but existed eternally before and will continue to exist eternally after. And as we get that vision, as we become aware of that, then we start thinking, wait a minute, we're living forever with him also. Wait, we're going to have glorified bodies also. And we start thinking about things eternally. We start thinking about heaven and hell. We start thinking about where our friends and loved ones are going to spend their eternity. Proverbs 29:18 is a well-known verse of scripture. It says, "Where there's no vision, the people perish." You have to have vision. Where there is no vision, people perish. Everybody knows John 3:16, right? I think we check you at the door. I don't think you're allowed in here if you don't know John 3:16. No, I'm just kidding. For God so loved the world, you with me? That whosoever, okay. For God so loved the world, gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, hold it, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God sent the Son so that we wouldn't perish. That means go to hell. Where there's no vision, what happens to people? They perish. We got we to live where Jesus lives. We got to have a vision of eternity. We got to understand that this thing is way bigger, not just than our lives, it's bigger than earth. This thing is eternal. This is huge. We got to have a vision so that we can accomplish God's purpose, not just in our life, but in the world. We have to do that. A clear understanding of eternity will motivate your daily life. It'll motivate your daily life. You can't see Jesus Christ where he is on the throne in glory knowing the story and just go back and say, yeah, whatever. You can't. It'll change you. We don't have time to study it, but if you were to glance at it in the chapter number 22 of the book of Isaiah, it starts off and Isaiah gets some vision from God about some things that he's going to do in judgment or whatever. And, and, and God's revelation to Isaiah, God's giving Isaiah this vision, okay, became a burden on the heart of Isaiah. And he calls it the burden of the valley of vision. And it's repeated as you go through that chapter. It's very interesting. Because when God gives you vision, when you get the insight, when you see eternity, it gives you a burden to do something with that. Because hopefully then you look across the street at your neighbor and you realize, well, I wonder if he understands that. And it motivates you to do something to go out and to reach lost people. At the end of the day, the only way you're going to get that vision, we're always going to come back to the Word of God. Because our physical eyes ain't getting it, but our spiritual eyes can as the Spirit of God teaches us the Word of God. And, and it's that moment, like I talked about earlier, when finally it just all makes sense. It just clicks. And the light bulb goes on and you have that moment and you have one of those God moments where he just, he just says, ding, this is it. And you get it. And you're never the same. You could never possibly go back to the way you used to live. You could never possibly go back because he gave you that vision and it all came together. You're changed. The stakes are too high. The mission's too important. People are precious. The laborers are few. But you can do it. 
I mean, you can get this thing done. I put it in your notes this way. The mission is possible. Because Jesus did it, you can do it. And, and I'm not, listen, forget in your mind, well, he's God, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, he lives in you. Because he did it, that's this whole prayer all through the chapter. Father, I did this, you and me, we did it, we're in this together, we saw all this happen. And by the way, the disciples, they're next. What you've done through me, do through them. You can do it. You can be a part of this. You can see God use you in amazing ways. Why? Because Jesus Christ is victorious and he is in you. And you can get it done. You absolutely can. He's in us. We are in him. Just get past yourself and allow him to do that. Yeah, it requires faith. Is it easy? Of course not. That's why he prays. That's why we pray. It, it requires faith for God to help you accomplish it. You can't do it on your own. But it's for your fulfillment of God's mission, but it's God's purpose for your life. It gives you fulfillment. It gives you joy. Be different. Be sanctified. Stand apart from the crowd. Don't cave in to the pressures of this world. Be different. Be loving. Listen, learn to grow and to serve together. Learn to love the ones that are hard to love. All of us have best friends. We have them as our best friends because they're easy to love. We love them. It's fun to be around them. Not everybody's in that category by design, I think, so that we can learn to love those that are harder to love. Do it. It's the right thing to do. And be aware. Be aware of eternity and see life with that lens and just go out and make a difference. That's where we're at today. And you know what? If there's some of the things, now you know, we're going to finish in just a second. You got the connection card was mentioned to you that you know, we'll, in a minute we're going to wrap it up with a prayer and sing a song and collect an offering. But on that connection card, maybe you're interested in some of the programs that we offer to you. Maybe you're interested in our daily reading program. You have the schedule in front of you. Maybe you're interested in personal discipleship. You can check the box on there and we'll get information to you. Maybe you're interested in our ministry tools and training class. There's an announcement about that. You can put some, just write on the card what it is you would like more information so that we can help get you that information. This is our way to love you and to help you grow in your walk and your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and his body. And, and if that's something that interests you, please just do that, place it in the plate when it goes by, and then we can know that. But today's message, it's for the family. It's for those of us who have already received Christ as our Savior to be challenged to take that life and pass it on to others in the next generation and to take it seriously. And I don't know where you're at, and I don't know what God has shown you today, but he has given us clear revelation from his word how to pull that off. Today, we just got to determine to do it. And for some of you, that may be repenting of some sin that you've kept hidden in your heart that maybe nobody else knows about. For some of you, there's people that you've been embittered against, and God is pulling on your heart because you know you need to go and ask for forgiveness. And maybe before you walk out on that parking lot, there's somebody in this room. I don't know. Maybe it's a phone call that you make as soon as you leave here. I don't know. But you've got to get that right so that we can be one. 
so that we can make a difference in this world, so that you can grow to full perfection. If God is speaking to your heart to get something done like that, Christian, will you do that today? And maybe you're here and you're like, I don't even know if I'm saved. Look, the message wasn't about that today, but Christ's arms are always extended to you. He loves you. He died for you. He gave his life so that you could have new life. And like I said earlier, if you'll give away your life, he will give away his to you, and you win. It's the greatest thing in the whole world. Let's all stand together. I want us to pray.